Well, Sam shared with us the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on that first morning. And the story goes on to tell that those women went back to where the disciples had gathered. And when they got to the disciples and told them what the angel had said, the, the disciples didn't believe them. One of the crazy things about this biblical story is if you were going to invent something in that culture where the, the, the credibility of women was not considered real high, uh, it's just that's the culture they lived in, that Christianity is anchored on the testimony of these women. And they came back, and so Peter said, this thing is so amazing, I really can't get my head wrapped around it, that Jesus is alive, so I've got to go check for myself. So he went back to the tomb to look, and indeed, he found the tomb empty. Have you ever had an event in your life that was kind of like so unbelievable, you couldn't believe it? It was so good, but at the same time, you were a little confused, like, I don't know if this is really true or not. If it is, it's the most incredible thing I've ever seen, but I'm not really sure if it's true. When I was in college... I went to a Bible college, and one fall evening, we looked up in the sky, and there was a full moon, and it was, it was red. It was like blood red. And for those of you who know the Bible, there actually is an Old Testament verse that says, in the last days, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, before the day of judgment, the moon will be turned to blood. And so as we looked at this ominous sign in the sky, we got real quiet. We began to ask each other, could, could this be what we read about in the Bible? I'd never seen anything like that. Even to this day, I've never seen anything like it. It was so amazing and yet sobering to think, this may be the last night we have together. It really makes you evaluate your relationship with the Lord when you're in a situation like that. Well, two hours later, we heard on the newscast that a chemical uh, uh, plant had leaked fumes into the air and it had caused the light from the moon to be cast as blood red. And so I breathe this sigh of relief, which seems kind of odd because as a believer, I should welcome the coming of the Lord and the end of the age. But at the same time, I said, I really would like to get married, have kids, and enjoy life for a little bit. And I got a little bit of time yet. A little bit of time. Well, I can imagine how those disciples felt at that, at that day. It would be like if a friend came to you this weekend and said, hey, I, I have the winning numbers to the, to the Mega Millions lottery. It's $500 million that I just won. And you'd go... Yeah, let me see your ticket. Let me, let me get some validation of this thing before I get too excited. And so that's what the disciples felt like. You know, yeah, the tomb's empty, but if, if Jesus is risen, he's got to be alive somewhere. He's got to be alive, and let's, we've got to see him to believe. And so there were some disciples that were in that room that night who, who set out to walk home and to think about what had happened that morning. We find the story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. If you want to follow along, it's going to be on your screen, or you can read it in your, in your Bible with us. It says, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Now picture this. These two are walking back home. They just experienced this incredible event, and they're talking about the details, like, I don't know what just happened, and and this is sure a mystery, and it's puzzling, and all these things. And Jesus kind of plays ignorant. 
And he walk up, walks up. He's, just, he's, he's hidden. God keeps him from understanding who he is. And he walks up and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? He wants them to start voicing to him all these conversations. So here's, here's what he says. He says to them, what things? What things happened? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. See, what you need to understand is nobody got excited the first Easter morning. Nobody went to the tomb and went, praise God, he's risen from the dead. It was like, what just happened? Where is he? Where is it? We, we don't know where he is. And we don't see him. And so they recount all these things. And, and they said, you know, Jesus was incredible. He, he was a prophet of God. He taught well. He performed miracles. But our religious leaders didn't like him. And they had him condemned and crucified. And what's more, we thought he was going to redeem Israel. We thought he would be the king. You know, the Old Testament kind of king, a military king who would come in and who would overthrow the Romans and move them out and get Israel back in its place of authority. But then he, then he was buried in a tomb. Never happened. He wasn't going to be king. And so they were devastated. In fact, they were extremely sad that they weren't going to be delivered from the Romans. You know, have you ever been in a place in your life where God didn't do what you thought God should do? When you had your view of, I thought God was like this and he didn't do what I expected him to do. It can devastate you. It can fill you with despair. Maybe there's a prayer you've been praying again and again and again. And it just seems like God never answers my prayer. God's not listening to me. God didn't open the door that I asked him to open. God didn't provide the husband that I asked him to provide. God didn't uh, allow me to have children when I really longed for that. God didn't give me the job that I really thought was just fit perfect for me. God didn't take away this addiction, this drive that I have. And, you know, all these kinds of things where we say, God, I thought you were going to do this for me and you didn't. And more likely than not, what God has in mind is something even better than what you've expected. Because what they wanted was deliverance from Rome. What Jesus had planned to give them was deliverance from sin and death, which goes on for eternity. And so while they're downcast, Jesus then speaks to them and says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So right there on this road, Jesus begins to have a Bible class. Just Jesus and the two of them. And yet, while Jesus is talking about himself, he doesn't let them know that it's about him. He says, don't you guys know your own scriptures? Aren't you familiar with them? And he began to open up the Old Testament. You know, the the books of Moses are the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets are all the the, the books of prophecy, and and there's the book of Psalms and the poetry in the middle there. and, And he says, all these books talked about him. Didn't you pick that up? And we don't know exactly what Jesus said to them at that time, but I have a feeling Jesus might have covered some things like this. See, there are a lot of Old Testament passages and pictures of Jesus. For example, he is the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. 
He is, the, he is the promised child of Abraham that would be a blessing to all the nations. He's a voice in the burning bush, the great I am. He's the prophet that Moses said would be greater than himself and that they should listen to him. He's the lamb of God who'd be sacrificed for sins. He's the priest that would offer the final sacrifice and then sit down. He was the king from the line of David that would reign on his throne. He was a suffering servant from Isaiah 53. And he's the rock that Daniel saw in a vision that would come and, and, and obliterate all other kingdoms and become the lasting, massive kingdom that would reign forever. You know, maybe Jesus went through those kinds of stories to say, those talked about me. Those talked about the Christ. The cornerstone that was rejected, that's the cornerstone that God would build his kingdom upon. Maybe he pulled up prophecies, you know, uh, kind of like predictions, statements that, that were told hundreds of years before they actually happened. There are a lot of those in the Old Testament that Jesus could refer to, and we don't have time to cover all those, but I do want to point out one that's so powerful. It's Psalm 22. Now, David wrote this psalm, and David seems to be speaking about himself in this psalm. So listen to the way Psalm 22 starts. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? Now, does that ring a bell? Do you remember someone saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross was quoting this. Not only that, if you go through Psalm 22, further down, listen to this. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. You know when Jesus was on the cross and that hot sun, he got so dry that they actually put a stick with sponge and water and vinegar and lifted it up to him to touch his tongue so he could moisten it and talk? It's describing Jesus on the cross. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. This was written hundreds of years before Jesus died on the cross, hundreds of years before crucifixion is even a method of execution. And yet David wrote this, which then describes Jesus on the cross. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Remember the soldiers? This is speaking of Jesus, but here's what happened. All these pictures, all these stories, all these prophecies, we put together like pieces of a puzzle because we know how they fit. But in the midst of them, they didn't realize it. Nobody knew when they read Psalm 22, oh, that's, that's telling us about Jesus and how he's going to die. No, they didn't know that. It's in hindsight that we know it. It's as if God kept this a little bit of a mysterious story going on in the Old Testament. They never could quite determined. That's why they misunderstood why Jesus was coming. They thought he was a political redeemer. And why was that? Why would God keep something so significant, mysterious? Because of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, if the powers of this age had understood God's plan, they never would have crucified the Son of God. See, if they knew that's what God's plan was, they said, don't kill them because, because we don't want that to happen. That's what God wants to happen. The rulers of this age, he's speaking of the de demonic powers. He, he says they didn't even know what was going to happen. And in killing Jesus, they were actually falling right into God's plan. So God had this story going on in the Old Testament, and he shares them all these little pictures and pieces about the Christ. But they still don't know that they're talking to Jesus. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. You picture this? Jesus is going to keep going down the road. They say, hey, hey, it's getting late. Man, why don't you come and stay with us for the night? Have dinner with us and get some rest. He goes, okay. Jesus comes in and sits down at the table. And it's almost as if he sat at the head of the table because he's the guest, and yet he takes this bread, and he raises it and gives thanks to God. And then he breaks it. And he hands it to them. And as he hands it to them, they go, oh my goodness, this is Jesus. We've seen this before. We've seen him break the bread and and bless it and pass it. We've seen that before. It's Jesus and he's gone. He just vanishes, disappears. And they're going, wow. Maybe it was when he handed them the bread, they they looked at his hands and go, look at that, look at that. It's the... It's the marks. That's Jesus. And as soon as they recognize that he vanishes, and now they're left thinking, what are, we got to do something. If you're talking about losing an appetite, that would be the moment. Still, I don't feel like eating, do you? No. we got to go back and tell everybody what well, we just experienced it. And so it's late at night. You know, Instead of saying we're tired, first thing in the morning, we'll get up and go back. No, we're not waiting till morning. We're doing it right now. So they go seven miles all the way back into Jerusalem. And I don't think those sandals went as slow as they did the first time. I think they were like Nike uh, you know, tennis shoes. And they went flying back. They're racing each other to see who could get back first to tell the disciples that they had just seen Jesus. And when they get back there, the disciples had already seen Jesus. So Peter had already seen and told everybody, he's alive. And they said, yes, he's alive. He's risen. We saw it ourselves. He broke the bread and did all this. And... He's alive. And I imagine that evening had to be like when your team wins the World Series or the Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl. You ever watch newscasts of the towns? You know, Philadelphia, the night of the Super Bowl? Nobody goes to sleep. I mean, they're up all night celebrating. I imagine that's what was happening in Jerusalem. The, the, the believers could not contain the excitement of the news. Jesus, the Jesus they love, was not dead, but he was alive. I want to go back several hours to Easter morning. The fact of the empty tomb was not a reality until later in the day when they saw Jesus. And over the next 40 days, Jesus appeared to many other people. It says that he appeared to small groups, individuals, and sometimes hundreds of people. He was seen. It wasn't people hallucinating. They actually saw Jesus. They actually sat down and ate with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. He told Thomas, who doubted, says, touch my wounds. So Jesus made all these appearances. And the last day with all of his disciples, he said, you know, you are going to be my witnesses of this. Starting in Jerusalem and out to Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And you're going to tell them what you just experienced. But before you go, you need power to do that. You need something inside you to to help you have the right words to speak and have the courage to do it. You need the Holy Spirit. And so wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Spirit who I will send. And that's talked about in the book of Acts. So Jesus then ascends into heaven. I want to ask you, 
Because I, I grew up hearing the Easter story, but I honestly say it never really changed my life till I was in high school, about the age of 16. That you can actually hear a story that's incredible and have it not impact you because even though it's up here and you, you want to believe it, it hasn't sunk in down here. It hasn't sunk into your heart. It's not changed you. And some of you are in that position. You say, Pastor, I, I like the story about Jesus. It's a good story. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it happened. But it doesn't change my world. It doesn't make me different. And see, the people who experienced it, their lives are changed forever. They became different people. God wants to change you. But you have to move from hearing about an event to experiencing it yourself. So I'm going to go through, from this story, three points of application. How you can make the resurrection very personal to you. And it starts with this. And it really is what Jesus did for them. Open the book. It starts with opening the book. What I'm talking about is the Bible. Open the Bible. Get to learn this incredible story that God has given us. We don't have the benefit of Jesus walking up beside us on the road and talking with us. But he says, I've given you something actually better. I've given you a book that records what I did, what I taught, all the scriptures that told about me, what I'm going to do in the future. You've got that book. It's called the Bible. And I know sometimes we're intimidated by this book. It's, it's thick. It's, it's written in a different culture, and foreign languages that are translated to ours. And, and I admit, sometimes there are parts of it that are difficult to understand. But there are other parts that are so easy to understand that even a child can read it and get something out of it. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to hear a verse like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And say, I really don't understand what that means. It's pretty easy, right? Or, Or the parable of the Good Samaritan, helping someone in need. That's pretty obvious what you do. There's much of Scripture that you can just read it. You go, I get it. It doesn't matter that's in another culture. The same principle holds true today. But there are other parts that you have to kind of immerse yourself in that culture. They didn't drive cars. They didn't have computers. They didn't, they didn't talk to people on the telephone. I mean, the very fact that the women pack spices to go, to go pack the body of someone dead, who does that? None of us. We don't do that in our culture, but it was their culture. They didn't have uh, preserving methods that we have today. So when you understand the culture, you realize, man, there's some really incredible stories in this book. And sometimes it's history, sometimes it's poetry, sometimes it's prophecy, sometimes they're genealogies. There are all kinds of different um, forms of literature in the Bible. 66 books in your Bible. 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. But there's one story in the Bible. And really, there's one lead character in the Bible. You know who that is? We sang about him, Jesus. Why we need Jesus, the promise that Jesus is going to come, what life is like without Jesus, what Jesus said and did, what Jesus does in people's lives who follow him and, and his promise of coming again and bringing an end to the life as we know it. It's all about Jesus. And so if you get into the word, get into the scriptures, you start to see Jesus and you start to experience him. Faith comes by hearing, the Bible says, and hearing through the word of God. So if you want to grow in faith, if you want your faith to be developed, you've got to um, get in this book. And you've got to listen to what it says. Plutarch, who was a, Greek biographer and historian said once, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be kindled. And I love that picture of the mind because I often thought the mind is like a bucket. You just keep pouring stuff in it. You just keep learning. You go to school, you learn, you fill the bucket. And the bucket's full, and hopefully you remember what's in the bucket. But he said the mind is more like um, a, a bunch of sticks that are waiting to be ignited. And the reason I love that is because 
when I really got to know the Bible better, when I really entered into a relationship with the Lord, this book started to impact me inside more than any other book I've ever read. It just, it's just like ignited something. Like, this is true. This is so good. This is so practical. It's countercultural, but it's so, it's so right on in who I am and what I need to be doing in my life. And this book, um, the more I read it, the more I understood. And still today, I don't understand all of it, but I understand more than I used to understand because I've stayed with it. And I want to encourage you, stay with it, learn. John Wesley, who is uh, revered in the Methodist church as kind of one of its heroes, every church has a hero, and the Methodist church was the Wesley brothers, John Charles Wesley. And John Wesley was a preacher who became very discouraged in ministry. He got so discouraged, he was ready just to chuck it all in when he talked to a Moravian pastor and said, you know, I, I don't want to keep doing this. It isn't fulfilling. I'm, I'm, I'm drying up. And this pastor said to him, preach faith. Just, just preach faith until, until it becomes real to you. So he began just to focus on a person's walk with the Lord and his relationship. He went into a prison and, and spoke to the prisoners, led a prisoner to the Lord, and that man experienced a dramatic change immediately. And John Wesley was like amazed that this guy had, had experienced life change like that. Like instantaneously, he was acting different. He was, he was thinking differently. And so he began to believe that maybe, maybe God can do that for me. And one night shortly after, he was at a church service when someone opened up the book of Romans, began talking about this book, and he said he felt this burning inside, this, uh, this warming of his heart that gave him the assurance of his relationship with the Lord. You know, these disciples were on the road, and it says, when we heard the scriptures that he gave us on the road, didn't our hearts burn within us? It was like holy heartburn. And they were saying, wow, this is true. It really does. It's like the the pieces of the puzzle are finally coming together. So we open the book, get to know the story. Our church has been going through the book of Luke since um, January 1. And today's the last reading. Today we finish Luke 24. Tomorrow we have a new reading plan for the next three months. It's the book of Acts. And you can follow along with us by just going out in the foyer at the connection counter to your right. They'll, they'll have reading plans. They're also at the Welcome Center. You can get uh, a text that shoots you the verse every day or the little chapter or section of the chapter to read every single day. And you can follow along with us. For some of you, that's something new. You've never read the Bible. Maybe this is the time for you to say, okay, I'm going to start reading it. And there's just a small bite of Scripture that you'll get every single day. What you do is you read it. Ask God to speak to you through it. Begin to ask, what is God saying to me through this passage? And you'll be amazed at what God shows you. Open the book. Second thing is to open your eyes. Open your eyes. See the Lord who probably is closer than you think. Jerry Jenkins was the biographer for Billy Graham and wrote a book called um, Just As I Am. And he spent a lot of time with Billy Graham to capture the stories. And one day when he was with Dr. Graham, uh, Dr. Graham went to get a haircut as barber. So they walk in the barber shop. Dr. Graham sits down. And a manicurist walks over and says, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a preacher. And, and she says, oh, I don't care much for preachers. Except for that one, Billy Graham. <laughs> he says, oh, really? She says, yeah, I always learn something from him. And he said, I am Billy Graham. And she says, no, you're not. You don't even look like Billy Graham. And the lady cutting his hair leaned over his head and said, 
it is him. And she said, oh my God. And, she, and Billy Graham says, no, but I work for him. <laughs> there he was right before her and she didn't recognize him. And I think oftentimes Jesus is right near us. He's trying to reveal himself to us and we don't even recognize him. In the 1880s, a French artist named Georges Seurat developed a, a form of painting called pointillism. And rather than mix the paint on his palette, what he would do is use dots of color and let the eyes do the blending. Then he would make a whole picture with just dots. And up close, it looked like dots. It looked kind of like this. But when you step away, the colors begin to mix. And you end up with a beautiful picture. And see, the problem that many of us have, I believe, is, is we are focused on dots and we miss the big picture. You ever heard this statement? can't see the forest for the trees. We're so focused on a tree. And, and I know many people, when they look at the Bible, get focused on some teaching or story in the Bible and get fixated on that and miss the big picture. Maybe, maybe you have a favorite story or maybe you're into something like end times or, or the temple or something that just, you just really are interested in when God says, hey, that's, a, that's an important story, but step back. There's a bigger story going on in here. Or maybe it's something that you're, you're confused with in the Bible. Like, I don't really get that creation story and how it all works and how does that mesh with science. I don't understand how people walk through a sea that, that was split, really? Or a, a man that was swallowed by a big fish and then burped up on the, on the, the beach, really? I, don't, I, don't, I can't get over that. A woman who has never been with a man is going to have a baby? I, I'm stuck on that story. So we get focused on the dot on something small, on a detail, and we miss the bigger picture. Because the Bible has all kinds of books, as I said, all kinds of styles of writing. And, and sometimes we just have to step back and say, hey, put it all together. There's some parts I don't understand as well as others, but when I look at the big picture, I see, I see the story that God is unfolding before me. Open your eyes to see. Sometimes the spot that we're focused on isn't even in the Bible. It's a, it's a mark in church history. It's, it's something that has happened that churches have done or Christians have done that has really let you down. Maybe a church experience that you had. Maybe, maybe something in the history, you know, churches that covered up things or churches that scammed people or, or evangelists that, that took people's money or the crusades where they killed people in the name of the Lord. Maybe that's something you're, you're kind of stuck on and you can't get past. I had a friend who recently wrote on Facebook how he was disappointed in the modern church um, you know, he, he felt that there's things he just didn't like about it. He liked the church of his childhood. And, and people began to comment on his Facebook post and, and say things like, well, that's why I don't even go to church anymore. And, and that's why I gave up on church. And the more I read it, I just got tired of it. There's all this bashing of the church. And you know, I've discovered negativity attracts negativity. When people post something negative on Facebook, it doesn't bring out the best in people. It actually brings out the worst. You, you bring out a criticism of a political character, and you just watch all the nasty things that get written on the post. And, and I just wish people would, would look at the positive. And so when I step back and I look at churches, and I'm the first to admit churches aren't perfect. Our church isn't perfect. I'm not perfect. But I would say this. Of the churches I've been familiar with, and these are all kinds of churches, mainline churches, big churches, small churches, different denominations, here's what I find. I find, I find sincere people feeding the poor, clothing the naked, visiting the prisoners, visiting the shut-ins and those in hospitals, taking care of the grieving, 
conducting weddings and funerals and baby dedications, teaching the children, sending missionaries overseas to tell people in faraway countries that God loves them. And when I stand back and look at what the church is doing around the world, I say, yay, God. I see, I see the hands and I see the feet of Jesus at work around me. And God wants you to see that. He wants you to see Jesus all around. Open the book and then open your eyes to see. He's trying to get your attention. And then open your heart. The final step, open your heart. Those two disciples invited this man, this stranger, to come in to their house and sit down with them and eat with them. And then they discovered it was Jesus. It reminds me of a passage in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. And this is Jesus saying to you and to me, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and will eat with that person and they with me. It's an invitation that Jesus has offered to you and to me. And what he's saying is, will you invite me in? Will you invite me in? And I don't know if you've ever come to a place in your life where you actually invited Jesus in. Because here's the truth of Easter. If there's one message to take away from this sermon, it's this. The tomb is empty, so your heart will not be. The tomb is empty, so you don't have to be. He wants to dwell inside of you. The God who sent his son to the earth said he wants to dwell within people like us. And you can search all you want. You can try sports, and you can try um, success, and you can try personal beauty. You can try all, uh, drugs. You can try money and popularity, all kinds of things to fill this place inside of you. But nothing fills you and satisfies you like Jesus.